Well, take your Bibles this morning. We're going to do some work in our, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, our series. Let's stand together. Matthew chapter number 19. Matthew chapter 19. Uh, I realize that we're in the holiday season, and so tonight, obviously, we'll be preaching on the theme of the cantata, in fact. But um, along the way, we're, we're going to stay in some of the series. Um, now, next Sunday night is Patch and Pee Wee, so we'll be preaching some Christmas-related things then. You'll sure want to be a part of that, too. It's such a blessing seeing kids sing and, and participate. And so we'll be out of our First Samuel. We're in First Samuel on Sunday nights and in Matthew on Sunday morning. So we're for sure doing Matthew this morning and then maybe next Sunday morning, just see how that goes. Still praying about that, but for sure on the 18th, if that's the right date, then we'll be um, in the Christmas story, or I, I love to take at least one of the messages around this season to preach on the deity of Jesus Christ. The fact that he is God, uh, but yet he was also, as he came and took on flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, then he was also 100% man. And so I, I look forward to preaching a doctrinal message. So that might be on the 18th. And so, um, <clears throat> anyways, that, and then the 25th is Christmas. It's on a Sunday. We're going to have church, just so you know. <laughs> It'd be a shame uh, to have a day designated to recognize the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and then not meet. So, anyways, that's not happening. So, uh, but this morning, here we are, Matthew chapter number 19. Matthew and chapter number 19. We've had the last couple sermons on forgiveness, <clears throat> and so now we're going on into chapter number 19. Our series is entitled, Jesus is King. And I like to write that with an exclamation mark because he is king. And so here's, here's where we are now in verse number one. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, so there's the tie back to chapter 18 about forgiveness. Um, when he had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. So he's leaving Galilee behind. We're in a brand new section right now. Coming into Judea, Jerusalem, that area. Verse 2, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees, oh, here they come. The Pharisees also came unto him, obviously tempting him, uh, trying to trip him up tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Is it lawful to put away his wife? Is it lawful to divorce? We would use the terminology to divorce. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? It was a heated debate of their time and it is today as well. And he answered, verse number four, and said unto them, have you not read? Isn't that good right there? Have you not read? Have you not read your Bible? Have you not read? Then notice, notice where he goes. Now they're wanting to take him back to, to Deuteronomy 24. He keeps going. He goes back to Genesis 2. All right. Well, Genesis 1 actually, but let's read now. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother 
and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain, or they two, shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. Notice this very clear and profound statement. Last part of verse 6. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, why did, why did Moses then command to, why did Moses then, Moses then command? Don't miss that. They said, why did he command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered. They said, commanded, Jesus said, suffered or allowed, permitted you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Twice he's referenced the beginning. Verse 9, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her that is put away doth commit adultery. Verse 10, Matthew doesn't designate this or um, explain all the setting. The Pharisees have left. Mark, I believe, mentions that they're back in the house. And his disciples say unto him, verse 10 now, If the case of a man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. That's what they said. If that's how narrow you are on marriage, maybe it'd be good for us to just not marry. Well, Jesus answered that too, verse number 11. All men cannot receive this saying, save to whom it is what? Given. And some are praying here this morning, oh, I pray you don't give me that gift. I want to be married. He explains further, verse 12. For there are some eunuchs, which are so born from their mother's womb. And there are some eunuchs which are made eunuchs of men. Now that would be like Daniel in the book of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were eunuchs. They were made eunuchs of men. And there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now what he's talking about here is, is just a choice not to marry. And by the way, one is not more spiritual than the other. A married person and, and a single person, well, they both ought to have a spiritual life. It's meaningful. He's not saying one is better than the other. Now, Paul would say one is more free to serve the Lord than the other. Obviously, if you're not married, then you're free to... Uh, you're, you're, <laughs> well, that would... <laughs> You're free. <laughs> no, it just means you're not bound to a wife. And anyways, okay, we're not preaching First Corinthians. So, okay, back. Here we go. <laughs> back to verse 12. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read verse uh, 13 through 15. Um, we're really not going to deal with it this morning. Not sure whether we would even next week and go on into the next part. It's just, it, it merits a whole sermon and I've preached a whole sermon on it because children matter to God. Children matter to God. You know, it's interesting. I, I realize you're standing. I should let you sit. But uh, you don't read of Muhammad caring about kids or Buddha 
caring about kids, but you all the time read about Jesus caring about children. Then there were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And his disciples, the disciples rebuked them, those that brought them. But Jesus said, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. I'm reading that because um, obviously this morning, all of our time is going to be spent on marriage. But you also see Jesus caring for children. He cares about marriage and family. It's connected. It's connected. Okay, here's the title this morning. I appreciate you've stood a little bit longer than normal, maybe. <clears throat> maybe. Here's the title. We're, remember, we're working on this. Jesus is king. What he says goes. Okay. Going back to the original design for marriage and family. Going back to the original design for marriage and family. And then I'm, I'm borrowing this. I learned something this week that I'm using as a subtitle. Here it is. An inch and a half by three and a half is not the same by two by four. All right, may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. All right. <laughs> so I've enjoyed doing some premarital counseling here recently with uh, um, Brother Hunter, uh, Harrington, and Juliana Abair. It's, it's been a real blessing. I don't get to do all the premarital counseling even that I like to do. I appreciate all the church staff and others that help out there. We have obviously a lot that get married in the course of a year. And so I just, you know, I just don't do it all, but I enjoy what I, what I can. And, and so often the times what I'm saying to those young couples that are just anxious about getting married, you know, I mean, they're counting down the number of days and Mary Angie and I did the same as we started reading the book of Psalms and 150 days out. And so on Psalm on our wedding day, then in the service, uh, her dad read Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord. And then we went out by the hallelujah chorus. So, man, it was, it was awesome. I really enjoyed that. That's Angie's idea. And, and, uh, and I, I was glad for it as well. And, um, but we were counting down the days, looking forward to it. And, you know, here I am, you know, doing this premarital counseling for this young couple. And, and, uh, and I, there's a workbook that they work through preparing for marriage God's way. And so they get into that and they're looking up verses. And this particular exercise, they were reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, charity suffereth long and is kind. Now it's, it's about church life, but it certainly can be applied to married life. And they just did a fantastic job of answering those questions. In fact, I've got their answers here and I'm not going to read all of them. I just, they did so well. I just wanted to ask for a copy of it. And of course I'm thinking about preaching on marriage and, and, uh, and such, but, but listen to what they said here. If I could just read a couple of them and Hunter was answering this one, charity suffereth long. He says, it, it doesn't get angry quickly. It does not get mad or give up when I don't understand or I'm not understood as well as being patient, even when attacked. Isn't that good? Um, and, and they're supposed to define it. They're supposed to, supposed to give the meaning of it and then an example. And so he gives this example. And when she's frustrated um, that I'm not making it worse, or, but I'm trying to be understanding and patient. Now, he's never been married. Obviously. <laughs> so, is that what some of you said? <laughs> Uh, that's terrible, wasn't it? Bear with me here just a second. 
Charity is kind. Now, Julianne is answering. She combined the two together and said, it's not easily aggravated, not offended. Love is patient. It's considerate of the other. The ability to keep giving over and over. Being patient. This was the examples. Being patient and considering and consider it rather when he's having a bad day, being forgiving and using kind words, even when I feel like I've been hurt. Man, these are good answers. I mean, this is textbook answers. And oftentimes I find myself saying to these young couples, look, here's the deal. Just keep doing what you're doing right now. And when I do marriage counseling and it's crisis counseling, I'll be honest with you, I much prefer premarital than post. But most of when I'm dealing with postmarital counseling and counseling problems uh, or marriage problems, I'm basically saying to them, look, you need to get back to where you were when you used to like each other. Isn't that right? There was a reason why you got married. At one point you wanted to. In fact, I had one of their assignments is that they have to write down 10 reasons why I married this person. And I tell them that way, at least someday you can pull out of your file. You know what? One time I had 10 reasons why I'm marrying you, right? I've just uh, found it to be true. And I think the reason we're enjoying a little bit of this, this moment is that we understand it. And I, I told them and I say, look, Angie and I will be married 25 years. We don't have a perfect marriage. We have challenges like everybody else, you know, because when, when, when people get married, it's sinners getting married. It's two sinners. Marriage does not make you a sinner. It just reveals that you are one. But I find that there's something gets challenging between premarital counseling and post-wedding living. Would you agree? It does. In a day when most seem to be at a place where they're trying to get out of marriage, we need to follow God's plan on how to stay in. The Pharisees were preoccupied with grounds of divorce. Jesus was preoccupied with the institution of marriage. God makes him permanently one of two people. They looked at it as a commandment to divorce your wife if she's been unfaithful to you. He saw it as a concession of the human heart. The hardness, due to the hardness rather of the human heart. In other words, it's getting away from the original design. That's what I really want you to think about here this morning is what was and thus what is God's original design for marriage. One man uh, uh, in his commentary, this is out of the commentary in the book of Mark, but he said this, the marriage of one man to one woman for life is the foundation of a stable society. Wearsby said this, the foundation for human society is the family, a gift from God from w- for which no, please listen to this. So he's saying the same thing. The foundation for human society is the family, a gift from God for which no successful substitute has been found. 
No successful substitute has been found. God's original design for marriage has been and is being diminished by sinful human hearts. This past week, the reason I gave the subtitle there and, and, uh, and we had a little bit of humor with it, some of you picked up on it right away. I did not know this. I am confessing my ignorance right now. All my life, I believe that a two by four was two by four. You just kind of take it for granted, don't you? I mean, it's in the name. Two by four, two inches by four inches, right? But oh no. A lot of you that have worked with wood know this, that it's actually one and a half by three and a half. Tim Turner, uh, the pastor in Eufaula, Lindsay Chapel Baptist Church, brought a two by four and what we call a two by four, but then he brought a real two by four. Mercy. Wow. That's what we need to build houses with, friends. Is real two by fours. But what has happened over time is we've just kind of accepted that, well, we call it a two by four, but it's not really a two by four. And may I submit to you this morning, although he applied it, he applied it to the Bible. And not everything that's got the label Bible on it is actually Bible because it's been diminished. And people have taken out the book of Mark chapter 16 and Acts chapter 8 and other John chapter 8 and others. And it's been diminished. Hey, listen, this King James Bible is a two by four, not one and a half by three and a half. Amen right there. I like that. He preached that a good little while. Now, I'm applying it to marriage that, listen, what the world is calling marriage according to God's original design is not what God called it. Commitment is certainly lacking in our day and time. Again, Wiersbe said that, many, he's quoting somebody else actually. He says that uh, this man said that in marriage is for better, for worse, but many for not for long. Many change wives as quickly and as frequently as NBA players change teams. Too many, I, I thought about this. I was hearing about, you know, another college uh, player entering the portal. Have you heard that? Entering the portal, now going to another team. Too many are entering the portal when it comes to marriage. We can't build the right kind of homes if we don't build with the material that God gave us to build with. And go according to his standards. The way it was in the beginning is the way that it's supposed to be today. And we can't back down from that. And I realize that this is a highly sensitive subject. And there are people in here that have been through the pain, uh, either as a child, the painful experience of your parents going through a divorce, or you yourself have gone through the painful experience of a divorce. And I want to thank God today that God cares about people that have been through a divorce on either side of that. He does, friend. He cares about you and he loves you. And, 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 and listen, thank God there is forgiveness. But I think everybody that has been through that painful experience would say to this preacher, like I often say when I come to some of these issues like this, and, and there might be somewhat the temptation to kind of scale back or tone it back a little bit. I think everybody that has been through a situation like that would say, preacher, listen, there's some marriages in here that may be on the brink of divorce or, or on the brink of separation and, and listen you don't need to hold back you need to tell tell them what Jesus said tell them what God said 
Don't tell them what Oprah said. Don't tell them what Dr. Phil said. Don't tell them what the people around the water, water, uh, water, what are they, water fountain, water cooler, thank you, water cooler. Don't tell them what the people at the water cooler say. Don't tell them what people online say. Tell them what Jesus said. And that's my effort today is to tell you what Jesus said. Jesus is now back in Judea, which, by the way, is where John the Baptist lost his head over marriage. Because he said to King Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. They cut his head off. Not many in secular society like to hear the preaching of a Baptist preacher. Say it like it is. And don't make concessions for who it is. John just reared back and said, you know, it's not right, Herod. It's not right, Herodias. It's not right. It's not right whether it's the king. It's not right whether it's the president. It's not right whether it's the governor. It's not right whether it's a preacher. It's not right. It's not right. John the Baptist lost his life there due to standing firm on the sanctity of marriage. All the Pharisees believed that divorce was permitted. What was hotly debated was the grounds. The grounds. On what grounds could a man or... Well, they didn't think about the woman. Everybody hear me here? I remember preaching through Deuteronomy chapter 24 when we were out there in the gym. And, and, and really that was put in place, not necessarily to deal with the grounds of divorce, but rather this, to make sure that women weren't mistreated. Because a man could divorce his wife and, 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 and put her away and then she'd marry somebody else and then he'd take her back. And there's all that kind of confusion and other things that were taking place. And women were very vulnerable in that society. And God says, I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not going to put up with that. You're going to write a bill of divorcement and it's due to the hardness of the heart. But here's what God was doing. He was taking care of and loving the divorced. He was taking good care of them. And those of you that had been through a divorce, that was not your choosing. Are you listening to me here this morning? Those of you that had been through a divorce, that it was not your choosing. You've seen God take care of you. Thank God for that. Two schools of thought of their day, Rabbi Shammai had strict grounds for divorce. He said it's only in the case of infidelity. It's only in the case of adultery. In fact, as I did study, study after study after study was indicating this, that in Jesus' day and time in first century Jewish living, that it was not only permitted, but actually if your wife had been unfaithful, then it was commanded that you would put her away. Because typically, according to Jewish law, if it was a case of adultery, then she was to be stoned. That's why in John 8, when the woman was taken in adultery, which, oh, hang on, wait, by the way. Um, um, no, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not forgetting what I'm about to say. I'm just making sure everybody else is listening. Um, if there was adultery and she was taken in adultery, then so was he. There must have been a male counterpart to this. But they didn't bring him, but they brought her and they had their stones ready to stone her and ask Jesus, what do you think here? And he said, those of you that are without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And then here's what you heard. That was all those men dropping their stones. And Jesus was riding in the ground and he looked up and she was the only one standing there. And here's what he said, dear friend. Here's what he said to this woman that was a sinner, that was an adulterous woman. He said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He did not condone the sin of adultery, in fact, but he also was willing and loving to forgive the sin of adultery. Thank God for that. 
two schools of thought. Rabbi Shammai, he, he said strict grounds. In fact, if she's been unfaithful to you, then you must put her away. He would probably have that sentiment. I did not see him specifically saying that, but that was the mentality of their day and time. Hillel, another rabbi of their time, a Jewish leader of that time, said that you could divorce your wife for just about any cause. In fact, if she spoiled your meal, if she burnt, if she burnt your bread, I was going to say toast, but I don't know that they had toast specifically that day. If she messed up your meal, you could say you're out the door. Um, other things, if she was disrespectful to you, you could say you're out the door. Uh, one really liberal rabbi, uh, a bukai, I think is, I'm not sure for sure of his name, but anyways, uh, he said this, if you find a prettier girl, a prettier woman that you like better, you can put this one away and get that one. That's like trading in a car. It's like trading in a car. I don't like you anymore. I don't want to be with you anymore. I want to be with her. It's wrong. It's wrong. And Jesus said as much it's wrong. By the way, really the issue here was not really marriage. The, the issue here was really that they were trying to trip Jesus up one more time. They tried to trip him up with regard to the Sabbath day and him healing people on the Sabbath day. They had tried to trip him up about John the Baptist. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say about him? They had tried to trip him up and tried to trip him up and tried to trip him up. And so it should be no wonder that the one that created marriage, that created the heavens and the earth, the one that spoke them according to Colossians, you say, I thought that was God that did that. Yes, it was. It was Jesus that did that. And he is God and he spoke the world into existence. He's involved in creation, friend. And it should be no wonder that those that do not want him at ruling in their life, should take him to task on the issue of marriage and family. Because really the bottom line is, is they did not want him to be king. They did not want him to rule their lives. Now I wonder today, amongst those that are trying to redefine gender and redefine marriage, I wonder if really the issue is not so much that as it is God's rule in their life. Those that, don't, that want gender to be fluid really just don't want God to rule their lives. Those who say you don't have to be married to be together physically really just don't want God to rule their life. The person who is sinning with somebody else's spouse is says, it's basically saying this. Now, they may not come right out and say this, especially if they're in church, but they, they'd come out, they wouldn't come out and say this, but here's how they're living. I know what God said, but I want what I want. What you're really saying is you don't want God's rule in your life. That's the real issue. Jesus did not get caught in their debate. They wanted him to go to Deuteronomy 24. They wanted him to decide either with Hillel or Shammai. They wanted him to take sides. I mean, it's like the Republicans and the Democrats. Which side are you on, Jesus? And, and really, it was a lose-lose situation to Jesus because either way he went, he was going to offend somebody. So he didn't take either one of their sides. Because God does not adapt his view to fit our views. It needs to be the other way around. We need to submit our views to his view. Which side of this are you on, Jesus? And here's what Jesus did. He, in his mind, maybe they were thinking, oh, he's going back to the book of Deuteronomy, but he just kept going back and he went all the way back to the book of Genesis and chapter number one, that in the beginning, have you not read this? Have you not opened up your scroll lately to see that he created two genders, male and female? 
What he's doing is this. He's actually using some of their Jewish logic. And what they would say is that the more original, the weightier. That was some of their saying. That if you, the further back you can go, principle of first mention, other, other things, if you do debate, then you, can, you understand what I'm talking about right now. The further you can go back, you can establish your, your premise based on what was original. And watch this. You can't go further back than creation, friend. And so he went all the way back to creation. And here is what Jesus said about creation, the creation of man and woman. He, by the way, he talked about creation. So Jesus doesn't believe in evolution. Jesus does not believe in theistic evolution. Jesus does not believe in an age theory or a gap theory or an eons of age. Jesus doesn't believe in millions and millions and millions and billions of years. Jesus believes in a 6,000 plus year history. Jesus believes in creation. You say, well, but Professor so-and-so said, Professor so-and-so wasn't there. He said, oh, oh, but he's so scientific. Science requires that you see it, that it's observable. So scientist so-and-so was not there to observe it, and he's got no grounds to go on. But Jesus was there. I'm going with Jesus. And Jesus said it's by creation. Jesus says that there's two genders that are both equally created in the image of God. Hey, listen, ladies, that means this, that you created as a woman, you created as a woman as just as much in the image of God as we as men are. You are not lesser. You are not lesser. How that is to fly in the face of who God is to say that he created one lesser. Oh, no, my friend, he are not less important to God than what some man is, no matter who he is and how high and mighty he thinks he may be. No, my friend, listen, you are equally created in the image of God. He created two genders. He created heterosexual marriage. A man to a woman. You will find throughout the Bible no exceptions. No endorsements of homosexual marriage. No endorsement of it. That'd be like trying to say that God also endorses adultery. Or God also endorses sex outside of marriage prior to marriage. It'd be like trying to say that God, God uh, endorses people living together without an official marriage. He doesn't endorse that. He doesn't endorse homosexual marriage. He doesn't endorse it. So just like, like uh, those that may, there are people that struggle with a same-sex attraction, but they've got to, after they are saved, they've got to be just as diligent to resist that as I do, as I have a, a, a desire or attraction towards the opposite gender. Are, are you all right with that? You say, Pastor, I didn't know that you had that. I'm married, and I? <laughs> but anything outside of my marriage is sin. And must be resisted. Whether that is pornography. You say, well, I don't think that's a big deal. All you're doing is just looking. Uh, Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Just want to make sure everybody's awake right here. Because we're living in a society that is prevalent in, in pornography. Some are, commit, some are tempted to commit it. By dressing immodestly, some are tempted to look at it. Either way, it's wrong. 
There, are, there is no, it does not matter what priest, it does not matter what preacher, it does not matter what denomination, it does not matter what governor, it does not matter what policy, what, what dra- what's drafted, it does not matter what president says it, it does not matter what Supreme Court says, it is settled forever in heaven that a two by four is a two by four. It is, okay, God's word is settled in heaven for sure that it is one man, one woman, one lifetime. It's settled. It's settled. Can't debate it. Can't go around it. Not be right with God. And it is exclusively, exclusively between a husband and a wife. God did not create a man with multiple women. It was Adam and it was Eve. It was not Eve and a bunch of men. So that tells you right there that God is against polygamy and polyandry. God's against both. God wants it to be one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's the original design. And thus, I thought about it this way. It truly is a two by four. Two created in the image of God, married according to his design forever. Now that was totally cheesy, but I don't really care. Two created in the image of God according to his design, married according to his design forever. Two by four. One flesh. Pictured in the unity candle. Pictured in the sand covenant. Remember when Danny Shives married Annalise Hurst? He took, she took dirt or sand from Australia and he brought red dirt from Oklahoma. And they poured it together. And you can't separate that out. I preached that on marriage at youth camp because I believe we've got to reach our young people early. In youth camp, uh, this particular camp, they do a snow cone in honor of one of the messages that the preacher preaches. And they give it a name. So to this day, to my knowledge, at Indian Creek Baptist uh, Youth Camp, there's a, there's a snow cone called Bone of My Bones. It's a snow cone that... They asked me, what, what flavor do you want to pick, Brother Jason? And, and, uh, and then asked Angie, what flavor do you want to pick? So I think I picked the sweet tea, if I'm not mistaken. And Angie picked mango, so it's a mango sweet tea, snow cone. Hmm? You can't, once that, once that syrup is poured on there, you can't separate it. And friend, what Jesus is saying is that's the way marriage is. So once God has poured them together, they should not be separated. say, preacher, what if it's too late for me? Then you live right now in light of what Jesus is saying. You say, what if I've remarried? Then you live right now in light of what Jesus is saying. Don't mess it all up now. Are you following me? Hey, listen, we live in a fallen world where we make fallen decisions and and we deal with messy situations. There are many messy situations. But because we deal with messy situations does not give us liberty to start changing a two by four to a one and a half by three and a half to accommodate ourselves. No, we've got to go back to what God originally designed and get back to it as best as we can. Are you with me? The help of the Holy Spirit. Leaving, cleaving, weaving, working through problems. It certainly also communicates this, that Jesus taught and and desires the permanence of marriage. And he says what God had joined together, what God has put together, then let not man put asunder or separate or divide. Listen to what, uh, what one man said this. He said, if God has joined them together according to the structure of his own creation, divorce is not only unnatural, which means it's against creation, but it also is rebellion against God. 
What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Otherwise, you're breaking up what God has created and you're rebelling against God. I want every married couple here to think about that this morning. It should be no wonder that human sexuality is at the very epicenter of what's happened since the fall. Jesus, in verses 4 through 6, went all the way back to Genesis 2 to show them that in Genesis 2, here's his main point. Are you, are you still with me here this morning? I, I realize you're feeling the potential that this could go long, but that's not my intent. But here's, here's, here's a thought. Jesus took them all the way back to Genesis 2 to show them that in Genesis 2, there was no divorce. No divorce. And if that was God's original design then that should be the way that we today live our lives as those he has redeemed. And the word redeem means not just safe for future, but also watch this, it goes both ways. He, he wants to, to take us into the future, but he also wants to take us back to what his original design was back in Genesis 2. And so if you're thinking about divorce today, Don't go to Deuteronomy 24. Go to Genesis 2. Are you following what I'm saying? If you're thinking about divorce, if it's crossed your mind, you're thinking, man, I'm ready to call it quits right here. Would God allow it? Would God permit it? Not according to Genesis chapter 2. You say, yeah, but wait a minute. What if they've been unfaithful? Well, if you listen to the Pharisees, if you listen to Hillel, if you listen to Shammai, if you listen to other leading Pharisees, they'd say, not only, not only can you, but you should. In fact, there's some Shammai's around uh, your office. There's some Hillel's, oh, my soul, other oh, a bunch of liberal-minded people. In the break room, I say, I tell you right now, here's what you ought to do. You just ought to leave him. Here's what you ought to do with her. You ought to just leave her. How about we go back to what Jesus said? And Jesus said, in the beginning, it was not so. I, I realize this is not going to set well, but it, it doesn't matter. Because it's not man's words or man's ideas about this. It's God's words. And he's saying to you, I want you to work this out. That'd be God's, that, that would be God's will. If you're married, and even if there is infidelity, you need to work it out with God's help. Yeah, but most people today, preacher, don't do that. I understand. And it's not the easy thing to do. And I, and I do understand there gets a point where it, it's, it's out of a person's control and, and the other person divorces them and walks away. And you can't control that. But you can't control your response. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to deal with what was originally said right here. It's not popular. It's not easy. And in some cases, it's not feasible because the other person's will and heart is involved. 
Yeah. So why then, I'm the Pharisees. So why then did Jesus, I'm sorry, why then did Moses write a bill of divorcement? Okay, Jesus says, well, I'll tell you why. It was because of the hardness of your heart that God permitted it. They used the wrong verb. They said commanded. He said, he said suffered. Jesus was right. They were wrong. He said it's because of the hardness of your heart, which tells us this then. All marriage problems are heart problems. It's not in-law problems, although that might contribute. <laughs> or reveal what's in the heart. It's not finances. It's not a poor sexual life. It, it's not... It's not even what he did, what she did, what he said, what she said. It's not, it's not even all that, but I'll tell you what it is. It's the heart. Jesus said it's because of the hardness of your heart that God permitted it. It was not God's will. You can feel that, can't you? It was not God's will, but God permitted it. He allowed it, but the main thing he's doing in Deuteronomy 24 is to protect those that have been through it. And he's saying right here is because of the sclerosis of your heart. In fact, the word is very interesting. It is the word from which we get sclerosis, which means a hardening. And then you have cardia, which means heart, coronary heart disease. Jesus is saying, listen, you've got a buildup in your heart. You've got a hardness of your heart. There's tissue in your heart. There's, there's, a, there's a, a tightening in your heart that doesn't work and it's not going to let your marriage work out. How does God really feel about it? Well, if we had time, we could go back to Malachi chapter 2 to see that God hates divorce. For good reason, because men were dealing treacherously. That's the word that's used in, in Malachi chapter 2, treacherously with the wife of their covenant, the wife of their youth. By the way, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is not like, okay, if you do this and this and this and this and this, then I'll stay with you. No, according to Scripture, marriage is a covenant. It's unconditional. I want to thank God this morning. I've watched some through some very difficult circumstances that have walked this road and have worked things out. And I've seen others that it got beyond them and, they, and it didn't work out, but they still are trying to serve God here. Thank God for you. Don't be discouraged. Jesus said it's the hardness of the heart. I think most of us as men don't even realize just how unloving we can come across. I, don't th I think that most women don't understand just how disrespectful you can come across. It's a hardness of the heart. But, wait a minute, take heart right here. If all marriage problems is a heart problem, that means all marriage problems can be worked out. Because you don't follow your heart, you guide your heart, and you say to your heart, heart, you're wrong. And you need to get right with God. By the way, in all of this, our first move is here. Before you go to somebody else, you need to go here. In fact, even as Jesus says to those that, you know, are, are, are maybe not going to have the gift of, of marriage, the answer is, I find my sufficiency here. Which, by the way, in marriage is the same way. I've got to go here to get my sufficiency in Jesus Christ, and then I can come to marriage to give. Rather than to take, perhaps we come into marriage as takers rather than givers. This is a serious offense, this putting away, because marriage is the closest of all relationships. It's a covenant, not a contract. It's, a, it's supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. No wonder Satan works so hard against it. 
Adultery is always the work of the flesh. Jesus says, in the beginning it was not so. He says in, in verse number nine, probably one of the most difficult verses I personally have ever dealt with. If you read five commentaries, you're getting 10 answers. It's in my top five most difficult uh, situations to deal with because he says, I say unto you, it's not said in Mark, it's not said in Luke, this exception clause. I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication. You say, well, what is fornication? That's a very good question. Fornication in, in many clear passages would refer to those that are sexually involved prior to marriage. For example, um, I have in my notes, you have adultery and fornication mentioned in Matthew chapter 15 and in Galatians chapter number five about the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? And it talks about adulteries and fornication. It makes that distinction between the two. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says that nevertheless to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. So in other words, he's saying this, listen, if you're struggling with lust, by the way, marriage is not the solve all for lust. You've got to get right with God because otherwise you bring in your marriage that struggle with lust. But he does say that to avoid fornication, then get married. So it is clear that fornication in many contexts deals with sexual activity prior to marriage. That's why even with uh, Joseph and Mary, and some hold to this position, that, that the only exception Jesus is making here is if the, the divorce happens during the betrothal stage or during the stage of engagement where Joseph was minded to put her away because she was with child. Now, we know she was with child by the Holy Ghost. It's a virgin birth. But he was mindful to put her away, being her husband. He even uses that terminology. But they had not yet come together according to Scripture. Now, the word fornication, here's what makes it a little bit complicated. Is that the word, is everybody still with me here? Fornication also is a broad term dealing with sexual sins of all types, including adultery. You've got fornication on one hand and adultery, but then in some contexts you have fornication covering all kinds of sexual sin, including adultery. You say, do you have verses about that? Well, in Acts chapter 15, verse number 20, as they wrote to these Gentile churches, they told them to avoid, you know, idols and things strangled in blood and fornication. So I don't think he was, they were writing to them saying, well, just avoid sex prior to marriage, but adultery is okay. No, they just used the term fornication to cover all of it. When Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 says flee fornication, uh, and he's in the context there about sexual sin, I don't think he just is meaning just the sin prior to marriage, but he's talking about all sexual sin. Okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 8, he says, Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 20 and 3,000 men. This is back in reference to Numbers chapter number 25 and how that under Balaam's leadership, the, the women of the, the Moabites, they enticed the men and they committed fornication with them. I don't think that the 23,000 men that died were all single men. Probably some of them were married. And yet Paul called that fornication. So there is grounds here to see that what Jesus may be saying is that if there is sexual sin, then that does break the bond, the one flesh. But what we should never miss is this. What we should never miss is Jesus is saying, listen, God's will, even in that situation, is not you are commanded to divorce, but you need to work this out, even through all that. But because of the hardness of, God, of your heart, God's permitting this. I don't know what you think at all about all that. And I'm, I, I, I'm just up front telling you that's a tough one. Especially when you put real people's names to it. 
So how about we deal with what we do know, and that'd be this. A two by four is a two by four. And it's supposed to be one man, one woman for one lifetime. The disciples said, Lord, you realize you're more narrow than Shammai? He's narrow in marriage, friend. Maybe it's best if we don't marry. He said, not everybody's going to believe that, receive that. Those that God would design in that way. See, the Pharisees are trying to trip him up, trap him, by getting him to side with their, one of their views on marriage. But they were in opposition to him. And you are in opposition to the Lord when you hold to a view that is different than his design. So what, what does that mean for us today? I, uh, I'll just be very quick with this. Many of you are not married. If you're not married, raise your hand. All right. Now, how many of you want to be married? How about today? <laughs> Can I tell you this morning, marriage is not going to solve all your problems? Amen? Marriage is going to reveal that you've got problems. Before you even think about marriage, can I challenge you? Make sure you're right with God right here. Which, number one, means you need to be saved. You need to have a walk with Him. How about you just do this? Just focus on being the right person and let God bring you the right person. Then you being out there on the prowl. In fact, marriage is so serious, you better be real careful. I said you better be real careful. And you better be mindful more than just their looks. You better be mindful of what their walk with God looks like. And this whole thing about dating around and treating somebody like you would a car that you're going to test drive, that's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong for you to be with this girl and then be with this girl and then be with this girl or be with this guy then with this guy. Hey, that's wrong. That's the world's way. That's the world's way. You need to go back to Genesis and see that God put Adam to sleep. What do I need to do? Go to sleep. Some of you are already exercising this. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by that? God put him to sleep and took from his side the rib and fashioned a woman and brought her unto the man. He brought her unto the man. What I'm saying to you is that this is a matter of faith. You can trust God to be God and you don't have to seduce that person to get them to like you. How about you just trust God and let her, him bring her or bring him to you? Hmm. That's Genesis 2, friend. It means this also. Sexual relationships out of God's design for marriage are destructive, hurtful, disruptive to your life. It affects more than you. My heart goes out. It breaks for kids of divorce. It's devastating. I've tried to help some along the way. It's been a great joy to see them trying to serve God. It doesn't have to define you. Sexual relationships outside of God's design is destructive to your life and others. This includes pornography. 
This, I, I don't know what term to use here. Please, I, I hope you don't think I'm being too loose with my words. I wrote it down so it's not like I just was on the cuff here. But making out is wrong. There's only one reason to get on the entrance ramp to the interstate. And that's if you're ready to get on the interstate. But if you're not ready to get on the interstate, friend, then don't, don't get on the ramp. There's no U-turn on the ramp. You say, I think we can handle it. A lot of people have. Don't mess up your marriage before it ever starts. The thing is, is that it doesn't go according to God's design. They weren't physically together. They weren't in flesh until they were one flesh. Fornication, social media sin, music, also known as audio pornography, certain types of music, rap, country, all the other. Music videos, raunchy, sensual, devilish. Movies, television that glamorizes adultery and fornication. Let it not, Paul, I'll use his words, let it not be once named among you. Spouse sharing, living together outside of marriage, flirtatious interactions with somebody that's not your spouse will end in adultery. Most often. You can't have a little something going on the side if you want to be in God's will. Be faithful to your spouse. Those of you that are married, be faithful to your spouse unconditionally. Regardless of what society portrays, regardless of what people at work think, regardless of what your family thinks, regardless even of what you think, regardless of what your circumstances are, divorce was not part of his original design, therefore it should not be part of our lives as those redeemed brought back to his original design. I'm asking you this morning, do you hold God's view or your view? And I wonder which one's going to build the most stable home. How about we go with a true two by four, not a one and a half by three and a half. Father, thank you this morning for the help. I'm so nervous about preaching this message in a lot of ways. But I thank you for dear people that just love you and love your word. And some of this hurts. Some of it maybe brings back some tough memories for some. I don't know. And certainly not my intention to stir emotions. Just to try to preach your word and get us to the original design that you have. There are struggles in here that I don't even know about. And I know what some of those struggles are like. And and God, uh, I just thank you that through it all, you're faithful to us. I pray today, God, for those that, of course, need to be saved, maybe even saved out of this kind of life. God, would you help them? There's so much chaos in their life, so much chaos in the world, and, and they need to be saved. And I thank you that even in the book of Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians that you reference how they used to live, and that's not how they live now. So that does show me that you can change lives and make people brand new. I pray for those that are in the midst of their marriage and maybe even having some struggles. I pray that you'd help them. I pray for those that have gone through a divorce that you'd encourage them today to know that you love them unconditionally. Your, your love for them does not vary, does not change. And I know there's parents whose children have been through a divorce and it grieves their hearts too. And I pray you'd give them great grace and help. Just there, There's more angles to this than what I can even pray right now. We just need your help, God. Would you, would you give it to us? We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Let's stand together here this morning. We're singing uh, page 451, Trust and Obey. That's what we need to do. Just get back to what God said and trust and obey. As we sing, would you come?